study through the book of Hebrews, we keep running into the topic of the blood of Christ, and I want to speak about that this morning, the blood of Jesus. The text is going to be Hebrews 9, verses 15 to 28. The blood of Jesus is not used in messages like it once was. It used to be a sermon was not complete until the blood of Christ was mentioned. The blood of Christ is denigrated in some circles, not mentioned. It's too earthy, it's too physical, it's too gruesome, it's too basic. It needs to be something more spiritual. But I think it's good to look at the blood of Christ as because our very salvation depends on it. The plan of salvation is incomplete without the blood of Jesus there. Without the shedding of Christ's blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin and no salvation of souls. There is atonement with there is no atonement without the blood. Nothing takes the place of the blood of Jesus. Nothing. So what's so significant about blood? There would be a number of things you could mention, but it's the most important thing I think is the fact that it is life giving. Blood is life giving. Life is in the blood, the scripture says. Physically, if you follow the blood, it, it takes oxygen and nutrition to the cells and takes away the waste. Spiritually, it also provides life. When all blood is lost in the body, it results in death. There can be no life with loss of all blood. Paul Brand was a uh, pioneer Christian medical doctor and a missionary to India. And he describes in his for us, his, how he got started in his medical interest and in his missionary interest, he was an orderly in a uh, hospital in East London. And they brought in a young woman who had been in an accident, and she looked like she was dead. She was pale, and there was really no sign of breathing. And uh, she had lost a lot of blood, and most of her blood. And it had drained from her skin, leaving her a real unearthly pale color. And the, the hospital staff lurched, as the description goes in this account, lurched into a, into a panic, a controlled panic mode. And they uh, hooked her up to an IV, first thing, and put the, uh, the blood, uh, the bottle way up high to try to get it to move in there quickly. And this Paul Brand was there to assign to monitor her while the other staff went off for more blood. And I'm going to read the account as it's written here. The, the, they could not detect even the faintest pulse on her cold, limp wrist. She looked like a wax museum exhibit or a marble statue. Her lips were pale and only a few, few freckles stood out against her pallor. She did not seem to be breathing. Paul Brand was certain she was dead. The nurse arrived with a bottle of blood, which she buckled into a high metal stand as the doctor punctured the woman's vein with a large needle. They had mounted the bottle high so that the increase in pressure would push blood into her body faster. The staff took, told Paul to watch over the emptying bottle as they hurried off for more blood. Nothing in his memory could compare to what happened next. As he nervously held her wrist while the others were gone, he suddenly felt the faintest press of a pulse. 
He thought at first it was his own pulse. It was barely perceptible, but it persisted. The next bottle of blood arrived and was connected. A spot of pink appeared on her cheek and spread into a beautiful flush. Her lips dark and pink, then red, and her eyelids fluttered lightly and at last parted. She squinted at first and looked directly at Paul. To his enormous surprise, she asked for some water. Paul Brand traces his career as a missionary doctor in India to that event. Medically, it showed him the almost miraculous life-giving power of blood. And as a Christian, he could not help comparing this to the life-giving power of Christ's blood shed for us. The very first family was instructed to bring sacrifices to God. Abel killed a lamb and brought parts of it to God as an offering. Blood was shed as that lamb died. The earth received the blood. Down through the years, so much blood was shed, blood of animals. Their throats were cut and the blood was caught in a bowl. And blood was spread on the lintels of the Israelite doorway so that God would not kill the firstborn children in Egypt. Blood was sprinkled over almost everything to cleanse it. It was significant because of its connection with life. The blood under the Old Covenant could not take away sin. Hebrews is very clear about that. It is impossible, Hebrews 10 says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was a covering. It was a covering at that time. It was a temporary commandment to point toward a perfect sacrifice that would be offered later. It was obedience done in faith. Looking ahead to the perfect sacrifice on Calvary. But what is the blood to us today? What does it mean to you? You probably haven't thought about it much unless you nicked your finger recently about blood. Or if you have, it's always been kind of in a gory sense. You didn't like to see that blood. What does the blood speak to us as far as the blood of Christ for the student of the scripture? I wasn't there 2,000 years ago on that garbage dump of a hill outside Jerusalem called Golgotha. I wasn't there. I wish I had been to see the sacrifice of Christ. I didn't see them crucify the Son of God in that terrible place. I didn't hear the groans of suffering and the agony that came from the crosses there. I didn't see, I didn't hear the drops of blood as they fell to the ground. The blood came from all over Christ's body. It came, started up on the top of his head. The cross, the, the crown of thorns pierced his skull, and little rivulets of blood came down over his skull, dripped down over, drip, 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 drip. It was dripping down there at the foot of the cross. The, law, the large uh, scores in his back where the whip had opened up the flesh, was ble- were bleeding and falling down and dripping, down, splattering on the cross and on the ground. The large spike that held these, his ankles together to the cross was bleeding. I didn't see the sudden gush of blood that happened when the soldier reached his spear up there and pierced the side of our Savior. The blood splashed down at the foot of the cross. 
But I accepted by faith that it happened. And it's so important that it happened. The blood of Christ is so crucial. It speaks to us loudly and succinctly. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How did, what is the blood speaking to us today? The blood of Christ. What is it saying to us? Let's read together Hebrews 9, 15 to 28. And if you would stand as we read the word today. Hebrews 9, verses 15 to 28. I'm reading from the New International Version. For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That's why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves will be better with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You may be seated. What does the blood say to us today? There are a couple of things I want to try to bring out this morning. The first one is the blood speaks of death. When there is blood, and when the blood all runs out, they, the creature that had that blood is dead. There is no more life. And Hebrews 9, verses 15 to 18, the first part that we read, talks about the fact that there needs to be a death in order for a will to go into effect. In order for the will to be valid, somebody has to die. Uh, so blood speaks of death. It speaks of death that had to occur. If we keep on bleeding, we will die. Jesus' blood flowed freely on Calvary's cross, and he breathed his last. A soldier pierced his side, and blood came out in water. Blood speaks of death. First of all, it speaks of the death of the testator. 
And this is a term that I struggled with a little bit because it seems to be Old English, but it's not. The death of a testator is, is the death of the one who made a valid will, and that will was actually valid when he died. And I tried to find a synonym for testator, and there is none. It's a, it's a term, and it stands alone. The female version is a testatrix, testatrix and testator. See, so you learn something. In order for a will to be put into effect, the death has to occur of the person who made that will. My wife and I made a will a number of years ago, and it's, it lives in my desk drawer in a little, in a little fireproof box. And I, I, I need to go back and look at it. I'm sure it's way out of date. But we went to an attorney and had them draw up his will, what would happen to our belongings. And... Uh, our children, and so on, if we were both killed. For that will to have any real value, it, one of it, we have to die. It has, we have to die. It, it, that will is, is somewhat meaningless otherwise. Somebody had to die. Jesus died to put the will into effect. He died on Calvary so that the new covenant could go into effect. It wasn't effective until he died. The new covenant went into effect when Christ died. In his death, Christ has provided an eternal inheritance in heaven for us. He died so that that could be put into place. He had to die. Matthew 26, verse 27 says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the blood of the covenant, the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant had much blood, but it was animal blood. The new covenant is the blood of Christ and his will going into effect. Secondly, the blood speaks of redemption. The first thing is death. It speaks of death. Secondly, it speaks of redemption. Verse 12 in our text, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. He obtained eternal redemption for us through his blood. First Peter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So the scripture is saying here that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Redeemed has uh, quite some meaning to it. It has several meanings. It means to buy back. If you redeem something, you're buying it back to repurchase something. To free from captivity by payment of ransom is another meaning of redeem. It's to free from the consequence of sin, to release from blame or debt. These are definitions from Webster's Dictionary. And the definition that speaks most directly to this passage, I think, would be the one to free from captivity by payment of ransom. So, the blood of Christ is ransom a ransom price for our redemption. 
We needed to be redeemed. Why? Why, were we, why did we need to be redeemed? Because we were being held captive. We were held captive, and a price needed to be paid for us. And we are freed from that captivity that we found ourselves in. That blood was a price that was paid for our being freed, having us redeemed. Now, our passage here doesn't tell us who the captors are, but we know who they are. Other scriptures tell us who they are. They're Satan. Satan has us captive. Sin has us captive. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Peter mentions in the verse that I just read that it's our empty way of life that has us captive. So we are held captive by these things. We are held captive. We are tied, literally. It's like that little boy that we read about in the bunker this last week down in Georgia. The guy took him in there as a shield. And, you know, I I don't know if he was tied, but we are tied. We are held captive. If you talk to someone who is a sinner out there who has not been freed, they are captive. They can say, well, they're free, but they're not free. They're not free. Until you've been released by Christ's blood, you aren't free. You are captive. You, You can't. You can't live that Christian life until you've been freed from the things that hold us captive. The price was the blood of Christ. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was the only price that was acceptable for redemption. We could offer all kinds of other prices, and some of us try to do that, our works, for one thing. We could offer them. We could offer our works for redemption. We could say, you know, God, if I, you know, you'll save me, I'll, I'll, I'll do all these things. But it's totally useless. It can't do it. It cannot buy us back. Not our tears, not our best efforts, not our anything. Nothing can redeem us except the blood of Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know if you've thought about that, but you were redeemed, you were bought from your captivity by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is awesome. It's because it is what actually redeems us. It is is the price of our redemption. I'd like to sing a verse of that song, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. I'd like for you to sing with me. I think you know it by memory, probably. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. I don't know what your response is to that knowledge of redemption. But it should be one of joy. Deep inner joy, knowing that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And how precious that blood is. Thankfulness should well up in our hearts. We were absolutely helpless until the ransom was paid and we were freed from captivity. Number three, the blood speaks of cleansing. It speaks of death, it speaks of redemption, and it speaks of cleansing. I'd like to take that thought from Hebrews 9, verses 19 to 23, our text this morning. Let me read those verses again. 
When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. It's contrasting the blood of Christ to the, to the blood of those animals. Under the old covenant, everything was sprinkled with blood. I'd like for you to visualize with me just a little bit what a mess that was. Okay, the priest would get some blood and he would dip his, his hyssop branch, basically some leaves, a branch on there, and he would, he would walk, and if this were the assembly, he would walk down the aisle and just, you know, blood, blood all over the place. Blood, 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 blood on all your Bibles, blood on your people, blood everywhere. Blood was sprinkled over everything. They would literally take blood and just, as symbolic of cleansing, just, just sprinkle it over every, everything. The altar, the tent, the book of the law, the people. But how can blood make anything clean? It just makes a mess. I read a kind of a cute little story about a father and his son who were watching a parade over in, in London. And it was cold outside. So they stepped inside a small store and were watching through the window. And the father remarked to the, to the little boy, he says, look at those, those red coats on those soldiers. Just red. Just really re- very, very red. Little boys there down below, they're looking through the window, and he says, they're not red, they're white. He said, Dad, bend on down, look, come, look where I'm looking. So, he looked, so his dad looked on down, sure enough, they looked white from where the little boy was. They were looking through some red glass. The, red, the glass was painted red, and, and so the, the uh, coats of the, of the soldiers appeared white. That's kind of a homely illustration of what we look like through the blood of Christ. You know, God looks at us, and we are, we, are, we are messed up. We're sinful people. And he looks through the blood of Christ at us, and, and we're white. Scripture that's very, very precious is Isaiah 1.18. says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool, white as wool. Our, skins, our sins are scarlet. They really are. Very, very dark. But they can be white through the blood of Christ. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son purifies us from all sins. I don't understand how the blood does that. I don't understand that, how it cleanses, but it does. The blood cleanses us from sins. I read about a, 
a big convention they had years ago in Chicago. It was the great parliament of religions, they call it, where religions from all over the world would get together in, 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 one, in one building. And I'm not sure what they did there, but anyway, they were there. And uh, at one session, the story goes, that Dr. Joseph Cook of Boston suddenly rose and said, Gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with a great sorrow. Bloodstains are on her hands, and nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Is there anything in your religion that will remove her sin and give her peace? He's talking to all this group of religions from all around the world. A hush fell upon the gathering. Not one of the company replied. Raising his eyes heavenward, Dr. Cook then cried out, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of her awful sin? The great preacher waited as if listening for a reply. Suddenly he said, listen, John speaks. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Not a one of those other cults or religions had the remedy for this woman. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse from sin, can meet the human need of cleansing. Revelation 7, verse 13. One of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I don't understand the blood. I can't stand here and tell you how it cleanses us. But I can tell you that I want to be a part of that group one day in heaven where my robe has been washed by the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I was going to sing that song together and it's not in our books here. I thought it would be. Maybe we can sing a verse of that, that first verse anyway, and maybe more. I think you probably know it by memory, most of you. I'll read a few lines from the rest of that song. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And I don't know if he knew the significance of it, but he was, he was hanging right there next to him, and he, he saw that flood. Ever, ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There is no stain that cannot be cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Our sins are ugly, every one of them. Sometimes I justify myself in their little sins and I say they're not that bad. But they're all ugly. They're very, very ugly. The sins are ugly in God's sight. They are putrid. 
They're rotten, they're filthy, and the stain goes deep. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses, goes right down there and removes that stain. I read a story that impressed me about a young woman who got saved in a church service. She was from a very rough past. She responded to God's call and was genuinely converted. She was into drugs and alcohol and prostitution and all this stuff. A very rough background to this woman. And, but she was saved and the change was just so obvious in her. She was genuinely converted in and she actually joined in very quickly in church ministry. She got involved with children's ministry and, and working in the church and being a blessing to the church. Well, this young woman got caught the eye of the pastor's son. He was impressed with this young woman, and he, he uh, started date, they started dating. And eventually they started talking about marriage. They got engaged and they were talking wedding plans and the church got upset about it. The church they were in, they said, you know, the pastor's son should not marry a woman like this. They said, it's just not fitting for a pastor's son to marry this woman. Look at her past. And they had a, a members meeting actually in this church and talked about this woman and the pastor's son getting married. And they, they talked about her past, and, and of course that was very upsetting to her and to her fiancé, the young preacher's son. And he got up finally, he said, My fiancé's past is not what is on trial here. What you are questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sin. It took just as much for me as it did for anyone to wash away my sin. It's just as despicable and just as lost. But the blood of Jesus, I can testify today, will wash away sin. It's amazing. How do we respond to the blood of Christ? I think we should be so awesomely grateful, number one. And then it should also spur us to, to the Lord's work as we see the blood of Christ and what he did for us on Calvary. I was intrigued by a young man's uh, biography. It was... His name was Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Had a big name, but he was the founder of a uh, of a little church over in Germany. Later became part of the Moravian Church. He was born in 1700, and he founded this little group of Christians called the Hedenhut, the Lord's Watch. He describes how he was as a young person. He had finished the university and he took a trip through Europe looking at some of the cultural high spots. Something very unexpected happened. In the art museum at Dusseldorf, he saw a painting by Domenico Fide, if I'm saying that right, titled Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. 
It was a portrait of Christ with a crown of thorns pressed down on his head and blood running down his face. Beneath the portrait were the words, I have done this for you. What have you done for me? All of his life, Zinzendorf looked back to that encounter as an utterly life-changing, as a life-changing experience. As he stood there, as it were, watching his Savior suffer and bleed, he said to himself, I have loved him for a long time, but I have never actually done anything for him. From now on, I will do whatever he leads me to do. For the rest of his life, the blood of Jesus had a central part in the doctrine and the devotion of Zinzendorf and his community at Herrenhut. And the story goes that when the first two young missionaries boarded the ship in Copenhagen to sail for the West Indies, perhaps never to return, many of them didn't, they lifted their hands as if in sacred pledge and called out to their friends on the shore, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This morning we need to respond to the blood of Christ. What is my response to the blood of Christ? It bought me an inheritance in heaven because it was through there, through that death of Christ that I inherited heaven. It paid the ransom price to free me from the chains that bound me and it cleanses me from sin. The blood of Christ must have a profound impact on my life. I cannot be neutral. The Bible speaks very harshly of those who have not looked at the blood with reverence. Hebrews 10 verse 28 says, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? And who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. And who has insulted the spirit of grace. I can't look at the blood with indifference. I need to look at it with awesome reverence. I was bought with a price. The price is the blood of Jesus. I'm not my own now. I must serve the one who gave his lifeblood to redeem me. He paid the price. What did he purchase with his blood? Does he have all of you? How the blood of Christ. Shall we have a song?